The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Join me in prayer this morning before we get into God's Word. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for you, our inheritance. God, God, we get you. We don't deserve you. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son. God, thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for purchasing your church, for laying down your life as a ransom for many, purchasing us by your blood, bearing our sins upon you and raising to new life, giving us hope, a steadfast, firm hope, anchor of our soul as ones united to you by faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And thank you for sending your Holy Spirit that you did not leave us alone, that you have sealed us forever secure in you, by your indwelling spirit, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us in prayer. Thank you for directing Ben's heart to pray as he did. And I trust, God, that the members of Pillar Bible Fellowship share wholeheartedly in that desire and that prayer lifted up to you. And now I pray this morning with a great privilege to preach your word, that Holy Spirit, you would grant the gift of open ears and soft hearts to receive, that you would gift the breaching of your word to be anointed, to be more than just words, but living words, penetrating, life-giving, repentance-bringing, sanctifying words from above. Would you do so? Out of the goodness of your name, of our glorious God, would you do so, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, I love you guys. So good to see you, all of you. Picturing you guys in my mind, those are at home. Um, But I'm just, uh, I'm so grateful to be going through this season And who knows how long this season is, but just where we're at in our life with each and every one of you. And and the trust that you communicate and you show to one another and most certainly the leadership. Um, Thank you. Very blessed, very blessed by you. Ephesians, we we are heading in to finish chapter 1. And this morning, this morning is, is a continuation 
of Paul's response towards the church in light of the glorious gospel of the grace of God that has been unpacked in verses 1 through 14. A response requiring a minimum of two sermons to unpack for what they encompass. Ben, he launched us off strong last week, bringing care and focused attention to, the, to love of the church, prayer for the church, the steadfast hope the church has in God, and that we, the church, are God's inheritance. You know, we get God and he gets us who are made holy and acceptable by the work of Christ. And now, today, my, my partnership with him, as with each elder, is to continue the exposition of these glorious truths, to make them known and impart as God would have them expressed through me to be received by you. And if you were here last Sunday or listened to the podcast, you may recall where he rounded out the end of his sermon, speaking of this immeasurably great power by which God has made us holy and acceptable before him as his inheritance. And this is where we pick up today, right in the middle of a sentence in which verse 19 follows a comma, okay? As Paul is laying out the three things he is praying for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened to. The third and final thing Paul is praying for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him through the eyes of our heart so that we may see and understand in a manner that has direct and lasting effect upon our person with authentic expression in our lives, live by faith. That's what that means, eyes of our heart, that that's what's taking place. And the third and final is to know the unstoppable, the unstoppable power in Christ to create new life to the glory of his name. To know, to know this power, this unstoppable power. Power. Defined by the capacity or the ability to do something. Power. Power is a fascinating thing, is it not? Whether it's used as a noun or a verb. We can either have powerful effect upon those in our areas of influence or feel and be powerless with our efforts to bring about desired changes. And from parent to president, you know, we experience this, right? We can attest to this in regards to power. Power using as, used as a verb, it can be contained or harnessed for use such as a, a, a turbo diesel engine. I am always impressed with the power they have to accelerate up a hill while hauling a fifth wheel trailer that's loaded. That's amazing. But granted, it pales in comparison with the combustible power to propel a rocket into space. I mean, that is powerful. Consider also Diagnostic imaging technology, which harnesses the power 
of sound or gamma rays or magnetic force and so forth to create images of our internal anatomy. That's power at work, harnessing power. Power is also harnessed and stored for use as electricity, right? In a myriad of ways that we're using right now in this mic and the lights. There's also great power, destructive power, but power nonetheless in weaponry that man has made over the years. All, you know, all of these are impressive considerations to power and all are quite vulnerable to greater powers that can quickly make them a pile of heap. 2020 has proven this over and over. I mean, the, the power of pestilence to threaten life, cripple a strong economy, shut down businesses, and so on. The power of hurricanes, for instance. I mean, tropical storms that are named because they demand respect. Okay? When these hammer the mainland, they leave nothing but a path of destruction in their wake. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we experience the powerful destructive force of forest fires. I recall talking with Natalie and others speaking of their close encounter, their close humbling encounter of them this fall. From the the freight train sound they give off as they're unwaveringly moving towards fresh fuel to consume, along with the, the eerie light, the eerie lighting when in proximity to this mighty force. A mighty force that is fought by making lines to contain it. You know, like, like we can't beat it back in submission. Uh-uh. You know, the best hope is to establish fire lines to contain it and let it burn itself out. And those, those are just a couple examples of the powers of creation really just flexing to show us how weak we are. There is nothing man-made that cannot be crippled and rendered useless by these elements of creation. Psalm 147.17, he, God, hurls down crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? I mean, the, the sheer power of cold to freeze all life and existence. Who can stand before it? This, along with hurricanes, fires, snow, floods, heat. I mean, the, the, the blazing power of the sun, right? We know the, we know the uh, science. If we're any closer, our earth is fried. Powerful sun, earthquakes, rain. When these created, created by God, powers of nature flex, they are unstoppable. And the destruction they bring, and the destruction they bring, yet, yet they do not even touch the unstoppable power in Christ to create, not destroy, but create new life to the glory of his name. There is destructive power to which we are helpless against, that we may try and even for a time withstand, but ultimately, ultimately are doomed to be at its mercy. This is a great power. Those exist, but it is a drop in the bucket compared to the immeasurable greatness 
of the unstoppable power in Christ to create new life to the glory of his name. And Paul, to which I join with, is praying for us, that's you and me, the church, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened with the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And this morning's text gives specific attention in the knowledge of him as relates to this power of God. This power of God that is toward us in creating new life in Christ. Are you tracking with me in the distinction here? That which takes place inconspicuously in making a spiritually dead heart alive, eternally alive and holy and acceptable to God is brought about by, by an unstoppable power that cannot be measured. That's what Paul is talking about here. That is what Paul is praying for us to further grasp. And I invite you now then to join me in giving deep consideration to the truth spoken to in these four verses this morning. We'll spend time in three aspects of the unstoppable power in Christ to create new life to the glory of his name. Beginning with it, this power being for us. It's for us. The unstoppable power of God at work is for us. It's for us, the church. It's for the church. In verse 19, notice with me. Notice with me what it, this power, what it's applied to. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of this, or of his power, toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So what do we have here? We have, we have a purpose for the power and an application of it. The application is pretty clear. The power toward us who believe. That would be Christians, followers of Jesus, united to him by faith. Okay, it's, it's, it's toward us, but now the why? You know, for, for what purpose? What is it that God is doing to us and for us that requires this immeasurable, immeasurably great power? We can reference the opening statement for the answer which is the basis for why Paul is writing these words we're looking at today. The opening statement, verses 1 through 14. That's the opening statement, and it's summarized in verses 4 through 6. That we should be holy and blameless before him, before God, his inheritance, beholding God, their inheritance, made holy and acceptable to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the purpose That's the purpose God's power is at work toward us, to make us holy as new creations in Christ for all eternity. In other words, what is this new creation God is making? Saints of the Most High God. So, so if... If this is the measure of power necessary to make us holy as new creations in Christ for all eternity, 
What does that say about our deadness? A whole heap amount about our deadness, right? Our deadness and our lifeness, or lifelessness, how, how lifeless we are, and what is required to change our status from fallen man to redeemed sons and daughters of God. And we don't feel this. We don't feel the reality of this, do we? At least not in proportion to the truth of it. I mean, not even close. But that is why. That is why we ought to, we ought to join Paul in praying, praying for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened to it. That's why Paul is praying that. To know this of our God, because as we see it in such manner, our love for God in response correspondingly increases. Do you get that? The omnipotent, the unlimited power of God, this this immeasurably great power is what God worked in Christ towards us in bringing about glorified sons and daughters of God. Because our state was that depraved, that helpless, that hopeless. The only thing in all creation that could undo what sin had done is the creator himself. The opening of chapter 2 will give more emphasis on our deadness and trespasses. Time awaits ahead. Nathan will be preaching through that for us to further consider how everyone Everyone, every human being born in history and to be born other than Christ was born in sin inherited from our father, Adam. Psalm 51, 5. Behold, that that word, behold, like this is it. This is the truth. I was brought forth in in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You can't go back any further than that, okay? In sin was I conceived. Behold, this is the truth of my state. This state of spiritually dead, void of life with God, cannot be overcome. It can't. Nothing in all creation has the power to change a nano element of it. Only God. Only his power, the immeasurable greatness of his power, according to the working of his great might, toward us who believe is able, only he is able to change our status from spiritually dead enemies of God to spiritually alive eternal friends of God. That's the purpose. That's the purpose for the power and application of God's immeasurably, immeasurably great power, making a sinner a saint. Making a sinner a saint. Where is the, where's the making, though? Right? Where is the making? What I mean is, is how does this happen? How does this happen? Like, like something is necessary for this immeasurably great power to be harnessed, right? Like the other exa- the opening illustrations, to be harnessed or contained, if you will, that it may be applied for its intended purpose. Sort of like, sort of like a a, a turbo diesel engine where the tremendous combustion power to propel its purpose 
to propel pistons into action. There's the application. Pistons activated, which turns the wheels, moving the vehicle forward. Well, this, this all takes place, all worked in where? The diesel engine, okay? So also, the, verse 19, the immeasurably the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might is worked in something. Platform, an agent, a place for this immeasurably great power to be harnessed or contained that it may be applied for its intended purpose. Making sinners a saint. Where is the making in making a sinner a saint? First part of verse 20. That he worked in Christ. He worked in Christ. Unstoppable power to create new life is worked in Christ. The second aspect of God's unstoppable power to create new life in Christ. It's worked in Christ. He is the agent. And no one else is the immeasurably great power to create new life, everlasting life, able to be done, but in him alone. The God-man, the mediator between holy God and sinful man. God in the flesh, the incarnate Christ. Jesus, who, who put aside, never did he not possess them, but put aside all the royalties and privileges as the only begotten Son of God. He put those aside. Philippians 2, who, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Do you guys recall at the night of his betrayal, you know, when, when, the, when the mob led by Judas come to the garden to seize Jesus. Remember that scene? And he rebukes Peter. Remember? Peter, Peter poor Peter. He gets rebuked all the time, but he gets rebuked here. Because he pulls out a sword and he's trying to fight and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus rebukes him. Do you remember what he says? Matthew 26, verse 53, he says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? At a mere word, church, at a mere word, more than 12 legions of angels, upwards of 80,000 warrior angels would come to rescue him. The angelic armies of heaven at his beck and call. Indeed, all powers of creation are awaiting his command. Him who hushed still a raging sea, all, capital A-L-L, all at his beck and call, and he puts it all aside. He puts it all aside and and in obedience to the Father, suffered as a servant, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
put all aside to die the death we deserve, suffered in our place. Jesus died and was a corpse. We know this. He was a corpse. He was a corpse. But death, church, death could not hold him. I love that verse. Death could not hold him for his life was an indestructible life. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is in Acts 2. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, by death. Why was it not possible for Jesus to be held by death? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. Why was it not possible for the sting of death to hold him? Hold him in the grave as a corpse? Because, because, saints, Jesus was sinless. He was sinless. He lived a sinless life. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Sin had no power over Jesus because Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life fulfilling all righteousness. He fulfilled the law of God. Jesus walked in perfect obedience to the Father. The law that we break, we sin against, we disobey, and are powerless against, but God. Romans 8, 3, but God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law can't make a sinner a saint. It's powerless to do so. It rather condemns us because of the weakness of our flesh. But God, church, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, our sinful flesh, what the law could not do. God has done by sending his own son, Jesus, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He, Jesus, condemned, or excuse me, he, God, condemned sin in the flesh. Condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus, since death could not hold him, could not hold Jesus in the grave, sin is rendered powerless. Are you, are you kidding that? It's powerless against him. Powerless by the unstoppable power of God to create new life in Christ Jesus. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. And therefore, church, lo- loosing the pains of death for those who belong to him, the new creations, his bride, the church. Psalm 89, 48. What man, right, condemned by the law, what man can live and not see death? Who can deliver his soul from the depths of Sheol? God is who. 
God is who. It is his immeasurably, immeasurably great power alone worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead that delivers us from the power of Sheol. And this, my friends, is the catalyst moment, this immeasurable, great, unstoppable, great power thrust forth to create new life. For we continue in verse 20. Though he, though let's step back a touch to verse 19 to get the full thrust. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When, when church, when he was raised from the dead, the power of an indestructible life. Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a glorious verse. The resurrection of Christ Jesus. It separates him from all others. All other religions, belief systems, rulers. It separates him from all others. Worlds apart separation. He is in a category all his own. I mean, that's, that's why the Antichrist doesn't come up with some new thing, right? He replicates a resurrection, counterfeits it. Rome, Revelations 13.3, he essentially does a similar thing. The beast, the Antichrist, seemed to have a mortal wound, but his mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed him, followed the beast. Like he doesn't do anything new. He just tries to mimic what Christ did, but in a false sense, not in a real, true, powerful sense as Christ did. It's all fake. Imitation, counterfeit, all to deceive. Christ alone, Christ alone is the one who has risen from the grave and it is the power of God alone that rose him from the grave that is able, able to save us and sanctify us and grant us eternal life as ones united in him, the indestructible life of Jesus Christ, united in him through faith. Him alone, the power of an indestructible life. You know, no, no lofty argument can stand against it. They are all powerless, whatever may, whatever may be thrown against it. And you've heard him, right, or read about him, such as, you know, well, Jesus, he didn't actually die on the cross. Really? Legs, his Jesus' legs not broken by the soldiers while he was hanging on the cross because when they saw that he was what? Already dead? It was not necessary, but they did pierce his heart with a spear like make a dead man even deader. His body was a corpse. The corpse of Jesus, scripture tells us, was given to Joseph of Arimathea, who taking him down from the cross, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that was cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance, which Pilate later sealed like not just, I need more than this, sealed and he posted soldiers, plural, guards to guard the burial site where Jesus laid dead, dead three days. 
for three days. Like, boom, roasted argument. It doesn't stand. It doesn't stand. Or there's the, there's the well, you, you, you see the, the disciples. The, the disciples, they stole his body from the tomb and made up the story of him rising from the grave. Okay. So, so there's a sealed tomb guarded all hours of the day and night, through the night, by Roman soldiers, plural, Roman soldiers, whose lives, mind you, depended on them doing their jobs, on keeping the corpse, the body, the dead body of Jesus in the tomb. You're saying the disciples, the same disciples who fled, abandoned Jesus the night he was betrayed. Now, when he's dead, muster up the courage and warrior skill to overpower the soldiers and remove the large stone to retrieve the corpse and parade a storyline that he rose from the grave, which has spread throughout the whole world, mind you, and continues today? That's laughable. That's laughable. Not to mention that over 500 people saw the risen Lord at one time before he descended it's like, boom, another one, roasted argument. It doesn't stand. Another one often heard is that Jesus is just a, another religious guru, some great influential good man, a respectable historical figure with, with a lot of followers. That's baloney. You know, his grave is empty. There is no one in the tomb. Jesus' life is irrefutable in history. He fulfilled prophecy. Our calendar, for instance, is structured by his birth. Historically, the greatest man who ever lived without dispute. A poor carpenter's son who didn't travel his whole life beyond his homeland, the land of Israel, and whose life changed history. This argument and this argument and that one, just boom, 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 roasted. They don't stand. Nothing can stand against it. All lofty arguments are powerless. Jesus Christ rose from the grave, once dead and made alive by the immeasurable greatness of the power of God mightily at work in Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. And that's, that's you and me. The many brethren, the born-again Christian, born by the same immeasurably great power, the unstoppable power of God that rose Jesus from the grave. Immeasurable greatness in the power it took to make a dead heart, a dead heart alive again, to, to generate a spiritual life. That's the power. And why do I say that? Because it was in Christ. When? When he rose him from the grave. That's the power, the resurrection power in Christ. The same measure at full force to redeem us from slavery to sin. That's what was taking place there. Redeem us from slavery to sin and set us free. That's why the, in scripture talks about the, the bars of prison bursting forth, light shining forth power. It set us free. We were held captive prisoners. Set us free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So that now, being set free, 
Now being set free, we may and are to present our members, our lives as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Or as Paul states it in Romans 6, 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, church, its end, eternal life. This is all accomplished by the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Rose him to, to what measure? So it rose him from the grave, but, but to what measure did it raise him? Well, let's continue reading up to the first part of verse 22, starting back in verse 20 again. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, all things, and gave him as head as all things. And we'll stop there at the moment. So where else, right? Where else would God's immeasurably great power harnessed and put to work in Christ when he raised him from the grave? Where else would it raise Christ to? That which, of course, is far, not just above, but far above, far above, the heights of which is, is also not able to be measured. I mean, how could it be otherwise? If that's the power raising him up, how could it be otherwise? That high, far above. And get ready for something remarkable here, saints. For he, God, continuing on in verse 22, he gave him, gave Christ as head over all things to the church, to the church. Those whose new life created by the power of God find their identity in Christ. Our third aspect of this unstoppable power to create new life, a life identified in Christ. God's unstoppable power to create new life identified in Christ. The focus of our final two verses, verses the second part of 22 and 23. Let's go ahead and, and read them. And he put all things, we'll back, back up just a tad, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So what is Paul speaking of here? This interesting verse, fills his body, fills all in all. What is he speaking of here? Well, it's, it's none other than the mystical union of Christ and his church. Something that, something that plays out in the here and now by the power of his spirit through faith and then the complete consummation of it for all eternity when Christ Jesus our king returns. Church, some, some concise truths intended to be made abundantly clear over the past few weeks is that 
we get God as our inheritance. God gets us as his inheritance. And now Christ, our mediator, by whom and through whom all this is made possible, is enthroned as head of God's inheritance. Enthroned as head of God's inheritance, the church, who are gifted by God to have such a king as Christ Jesus. You know, one who is, who is seated with unlimited power and dominion, supplying, supplying everything the body, his church, needs to properly function in his kingdom to the glory of God. And this is, this is present in the here and now by faith in him and in the power of his spirit. This is, this is, why Jesus was, this is what Jesus was speaking of in John 14, 12, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. In going to his Father, he sent the Holy Spirit, his Spirit to indwell his people, the church, manifesting the bodily presence of him to the world. The love, you know, the words, the compassionate deeds of Jesus lived out, not just in the, in the places he did ministry in his homeland during his life here on earth, but throughout the whole world over all generations till he returns. By his same spirit, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, continue his ministry till he returns. And this, this plays out in the here and now by the power of his spirit through faith and the consummation of this mystical union with Christ and his church for all eternity takes place when our exalted King Jesus returns. You know, through faith, we are grafted in the life of Jesus Christ, the highly exalted Lord, the supreme King Jesus. Ourselves once dead in sin, now by the working of God's power, are a part of that which makes up the fullness of him who fills all in all new creations whose lives are identified in Christ. He is the vine. We are the branches. God's, God's grace taps us into that resurrection power to save and sanctify us. Sanctification, its end, eternal life. This is what God's unstoppable power working mightily in Christ when he raised him from the dead is doing for us, making us a holy nation, a holy kingdom. For Christ to be king, he needs a kingdom. God is making us, the Christian, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what God has made us to be by the working of this immeasurably great power 
according to the working of his great might, worked in Christ, making us a kingdom of priests. King Jesus as our head, Hebrews 7.16. King Jesus has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. We've established this, haven't we, church? Jesus, being sinless, was not overcome by the power of sin. All of its power and might was exhausted on him, on Jesus, on the cross. And he, Jesus, put them to open shame. Do you get goosebumps when you picture that, when you know that? All that power, all that might of sin was put to an open shame on Christ on the cross because it could not hold him in the grave. He triumphed over it. Death could not hold him for he fulfilled all righteousness. He rendered sin powerless and has become a priest by the power of an indestructible life. Not by bodily descent, not because he comes from Aaron's family, but by the power of an indestructible life. And we, the church, identified in Christ, grafted into him by faith, his body who fills all and all, are made a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. For Christ to be king, he needs a kingdom. We are a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. Revelations 1, 5 through 6. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him, to Jesus who loves us, his people, the church, and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelations 5.10, And you, you Jesus, have made them, there it is again, that's the church, us, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All done by the immeasurable greatness of the power of God, which he worked mightily in Christ when he raised him from the grave. Paul, 
and I along with him wants us and prays for us to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know this power of God worked in Christ. To know this power worked in Christ for our salvation and making us a holy nation. I mean, church, do you want to know this power more? Well, it still flows. It still flows. That's the thing about immeasurably great power. It never stops. It never stops. It keeps flowing. It's a It's a go, 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 sanctifying, preserving, upholding forever power of God through Christ to us. So therefore, therefore, along with me, church, seek to know this power and for it to be working in your life that the resurrection power would be increasingly active in your life and in the church's life now walking in it and knowing it by experience, sanctifying, preserving, upholding, multiplying for the advancement of our king's kingdom until Jesus returns. Knowing this also, church, knowing this also, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And now get this. The same resurrection power of God worked in Christ that has made you, the Christian, a new creation will be supplied for us to share in the sufferings of Christ for the gospel. Are you hearing that? That same power that still flows now is supplied to us. And how do I know this? 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but, now pay attention, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. By the power of God. The same power of God that raised Jesus from the grave and made us alive in Christ, that same power God will provide us, that same unstoppable power to endure with joy when we share in sharing in Christ's sufferings for the gospel. That's overwhelming. That's awesome. Whatever they may be, God will supply that power to endure with joy, all to the glory of his name. Let's seek to know this power, saints, more and more. Let's pray. Wonderful creator, almighty God, We do seek, God, to know this power that still flows from you through Jesus to us. And we know that we have been forever sealed with the power, the 
the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God in us, keeping us in the faith. But God, we pray, as Paul prayed, for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened, to know it, to grasp it, to comprehend it, and also experience it, how those work together, Lord God, that you would send forth your Holy Spirit to pour into our hearts in such a way where there is that unspeakable joy. Getting us close to the experience that we will have in heaven here now by faith. God, I pray for that. I pray for that for every every soul here, every soul in Pillar Bible Fellowship to know this power that in knowing it, God, that we would correspondingly have power in our witness, have assurance in our salvation, have joy in our testimony and joy and endurance in our suffering. Whatever shape and form that may come, God, we thank you for this promise to supply that power to suffer, to share in Christ's sufferings for the gospel. God, we thank you for your word, and I do pray, Holy Spirit, that as you would determine best, that you would minister to each soul present, that if if this is, for the first time, something that is gripped one's heart, grab their attention that they know nothing of this power or thought they did but realize they don't. I pray, God, that they would be crying out to you, that they'd be asking and seeking this new life, this blessed new life in Christ. Father, thank you for our gathering this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.